Jesus Christ does not give us any impossible missions. He doesn't give us any impossible commands. And we find in several places in the Gospel and in the book of Acts where Jesus Christ commands us to be witnesses and to go out and to reach the world for Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the Gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the Gospel of Luke in the 24th chapter. Luke chapter 24, for some time here during our missions month and just before it, We've been talking about how to stay mindful of the lost. And that doesn't mean they uh, don't know their directions home or their directions to town, but lost spiritually. And if somebody is lost, that means they don't know for sure they're going to heaven. That means they've never had a salvation experience. That means that if they were to die, they would go out into a Christless eternity. But Jesus said the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was, what? Lost. Lost. So it's not an insult to say that Somebody's lost. We're all lost before we get saved. And God's people after salvation need to be mindful of the lost. Now here in Luke chapter 24, we have one of several places, I think five in all, that we find in the Bible where Jesus Christ is giving what we would call the Great Commission in a different way. And it's worded differently in each gospel and then early in the chapters of of the book of Acts. But here in Luke 24, beginning in verse 46, it says in... And Christ said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. We're going to talk about being that witness as we talk about staying mindful of the lost once again. Let's pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you, dear Lord, to bless this time in thy word. And Father, we ask you, dear Lord, to give us a burden for those who don't know Christ. And Father, I pray that we would not just be oblivious to them because we see them all day long. We work around them. We're related to them and live by them. And Father, we just ask that you would help us to be mindful of them most of all. And Lord, please open doors, give us opportunities that we might be able to reach out to them with the gospel. And Father, see them come to Christ. We pray now and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, radio station manager sitting down here and I have something that uh, we do kind of on a weekly basis. He emails me prospective songs for the station. I go through them and thumbs up or down, that kind of thing. And recently he sent me an email that was kind of comical and, and said in so many words at the end, your mission pastor, should you decide to accept it, is to edit these songs. And then he said, this email will self-destruct in 10 seconds. And of course I smiled because I'm from that era. And if you're too young to remember, he was talking about the old Mission Impossible. Remember the old Mission Impossible show on TV? And the tape would self-destruct after 10 seconds. Well, there might be missions that are impossible when we come to the things of the world But Jesus Christ does not give us any impossible missions. He doesn't give us any impossible commands. 
And we find in several places in the gospel and in the book of Acts where Jesus Christ commands us to be witnesses and to go out and to reach the world for Jesus Christ. He says here in verse number 2046, I should say, Thus it was written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer. It means he just had to suffer. It was the plan of God. And to rise from the dead the third day. And, verse 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now notice carefully verse 48. He's talking to his church. He says, and ye are witnesses of these things. He goes on, he says, tarry here till you get the power, but then go out and and reach the world for Christ. He says, but ye are witnesses. Now, what does a witness do? Well, a witness testifies. They're a testifier. Uh, A witness is, is an affirmer, someone who affirms the truth. A witness is somebody who can vouch for something that they've experienced or that they've, they've seen. They can confirm it They uh, are an informant. Actually, the witness, the word witness in the Bible literally means apostle. And uh, we are that in the sense that we are to witness. We are to attest to the fact that we know Christ and this is how the world can know Him as well. We find in Isaiah 43.10, God says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. I even I am the Lord and beside me there is no Savior. Now, there is a group, a religious group, that calls themselves Jehovah's Witnesses. They'll use this verse right here out of Isaiah 43 and say, well, that's us. But you'll notice the capital L-O-R-D there twice, meaning Jehovah. And really, if you read on, he says, I am and I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Who is the only Savior? Who is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man cometh unto the Father but me? Who is the one that they said of, there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved? Well, the only Savior is Jesus Christ. And so the Savior is Jehovah Jesus. And if you do not believe He is God, you'll die in your sins. And anyone who witnesses other than that is a false witness But we who know the Lord, we're told here, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. The Jehovah's Witnesses, so-called, teach a work salvation. And they're trying to earn their way to heaven by going around and teaching their false doctrine. But we know that salvation is by grace. Jesus Christ has died on the cross. He shed the blood. He's paid for our sins. And salvation is free if we're willing to do what Christ said in verse 47. It says in that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. If we'll meet the Lord in repentance, we can have remission of sins, we can be forgiven, we can go to heaven when we die and have a no-so salvation. That's what this world needs. Now, everybody is looking for something. And you might say, well, no, they're just acting like they could care less about eternal matters. Well, they might seem that way on the surface, but in, inwardly, everybody is a bowl of worms. Everybody has their secret battles. Everyone, I believe, knows there's something beyond this, even if they claim to be an atheist. There was a, uh, a college student in our church who recently uh, had an atheist who was offended by a, a, a gospel track or publication. And this college student decided after prayer to go and witness to this individual who on the surface seemed like, uh, you know, this tough hard shell type of exterior, but found out that they were really a bowl of worms inside. And uh, you could see, they said, in the eyes of this person that they were confused. There was just a lot of confusion there. And that's really where a lot of people are at. They're just confused. But they know there's something beyond this. God has put that in their hearts. 
We read in Ecclesiastes 3.11, He, God, has set the world in their heart. And we've talked about that word, word there, olan in the Hebrew, meaning eternity, meaning something perpetual. God has placed in the human heart, God has wired us so that we know there's a life that follows this one. He has set the world in their heart. There was a, a preacher that was on a, a plane and, and he went to witness to somebody and, and handed him a, a gospel track and uh, gave it to him and the person looked at the track and then they handed it right back, said, no thanks, I'm an atheist. The preacher tried to say a few words, the guy just kind of, no, no, no. And so that was the end of the conversation during the plane ride, but as they were getting off and, and getting their luggage from the overhead compartment there, the preacher turned to the so-called atheist and he said, friend, just remember one thing, eternity is an awful long time, better be sure you have it right. And he said that so-called atheist just froze and you can see in their eyes, you could you could tell by the look on his face, he had never really considered that before. Eternity is an awful long time. And we had better be sure we have it right. You know that most people don't have it right according to Christ. He said in Matthew 7, The road to hell is broad and wide, and many are on it. The road to heaven is straight and narrow, and few there be that find it. And this world is dying for lack of, of substance in life. Really, the average person is living a very irrelevant life, and they know that. They know that their life is somewhat pointless and, and purposeless and, and they're looking for relevancy. They're wondering there's got to be something more than this. The ex-Beatle George Harrison, who died some years ago, said this. He said, there is nothing more important than what happens when we die. You see, he sounds like he was witnessing. Sounds like he was a born-again Christian. No, he was, he was into Eastern mysticism and Hindu gods and things along those lines. But the Bible says that God has set the world in, in their hearts. It doesn't matter who they are. They know there's a life after this one. I'll never forget in the early 70s, and I've told you before, how I was in a laundromat in, in a little town of 250 people, and I saw that, that chick track, This Was Your Life. And I read it, and I, I never forgot it. It was probably about seven, eight, nine years before I got saved. But that thing stuck with me. It caught my eye and caught my heart. By the way, I don't like being caught without tracks. I was caught without one yesterday. We were out eating, and we went to leave a track on the table. I didn't have one. Brother Jasmine did. I was thankful that he did. But tracks are an effective thing, and God used one even in my life to reach out to me and get me thinking. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said many years ago, do not go out without your tracks. Let me just take a moment and mention a few things about tracks. They're one of the easiest things to, uh, to witness with. One of the, the least uh, confrontational things that you'll probably witness with. And you say, well, uh, how do I give it to somebody? You could say, can I give you one of these? Or have you gotten one of these? Or uh, can I invite you to my church? You know, it's just different ways that uh, you can kind of, in an un in unoffensive way, uh, share your faith with a track. And, and really, most unsaved people own a Bible. In fact, they say the average American household has about three to four Bibles in it. That doesn't mean they read them. I, I uh, never will forget the uh, big family Bible sitting on the coffee table. It, it sat there for years as a kid growing up. I never read it. I opened it occasionally, kind of looked at the artwork in it, things along those lines, but uh, never read it. And there it was. The average family has three or four Bibles in the average household, but they never read them. They're too long. They, in, in, in the lost person's mind, that, that's too much to read. But a tract is kind of like a, a bite-sized 
portion of, of, of the Bible. It's kind of the gospel plucked out. And uh, normally a track is written in a systematic way with the verses right there. They don't have to go looking for them. The, the plan of salvation is right there. And so you hand somebody a track, you're planting a seed. I think we're all familiar with Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you say, well, pastor, I'm shy. Even if you're shy, you can leave a track behind. Anyone can put a track in a phone booth or someplace like that or on the table as, as you're done eating and, and you leave it behind, that kind of thing. Or you can hand it out. If you're a little bit more bold, that's great. Uh, if you want to use it as an introduction to try and get an opportunity to witness to somebody, you can hand them a track. And it kind of is an icebreaker. Uh, here, I'd like to give you this, and, and then you start to talk about what it has to say. Or you can take a track and actually read through it with the person. We've designed that, uh, that larger gold, I guess, goldenrod type of a track that we've got, How to Find God, I think it's, is the title of it. We've designed that for you actually to be able to sit down with somebody and open it and read through it with them and take them through the plan of salvation systematically that way. In fact, we have tried here as a church to design and produce uh, as, uh, as nice, as effective, as beautiful, as clear, as concise of literature as we can possibly design in order to put the tools in the hands of the people. Now, you might give somebody a track, they might throw it out, but they might just keep it and keep it for a long time. There are some people who, uh, when you give them something that has the gospel in it, to them it's kind of like, well, this is holy. I, I can't throw this away. I'll never forget back in 1987 when we first came to town here. Uh, we didn't have any manpower at that time. So what we did is we employed the youth group of our sending church back in Crookston to do kind of a, an outreach to all of South Fargo, all the households in South Fargo at that time. And there was maybe 15,000 at that time. There's many more now. But we had the youth group take a track, and, and honestly, compared to our tracks now, it was pretty pitiful. But we thought it was great, and we put a track in every envelope, over 15,000 of them, and addressed them, and did a mass mail out to all of Fargo, and thought, boy, they're going to just beat the door down, uh, coming to church the following Sunday. Well, they didn't. Nor the following Sunday, nor the following Sunday, nor the following Sunday. Weeks went by, months went by, a year went by, when somebody showed up visiting church, with that little track and, and had, had kept it a whole year. Danny and Rochelle sitting right back here. They had kept that thing a whole year and came to church finally and got saved eventually, long story short. So you never know. They might throw it away or they might keep it. It might take a while, but hand them out. Moody said this many years ago. He said, what's the, the worth of a soul? He said, if I can get somebody to think about their eternity for just five minutes... I have an opening to talk to them, and, and quite often they'll get saved. You know, think about a little piece of shiny gloss paper, tri-folded, and, and probably a, a nickel or less worth of printing. And then you think about the worth of a soul. Think about that. Now, I'm not saying everybody who gets tracks is going to get saved, but I am saying we've got to do a lot of sowing to do some reaping. That's the bottom line. And we've got to give out the gospel. And it's a lot of work. It was a lot of work for that youth group in Crookston to, to stuff all those envelopes and, and address all those envelopes. But think about it. Somebody got saved. Somebody's got saved as a result. Now, the world is distracted. We know that. Their, their focus is not on the things of God. And, and normally their focus is on a job or a house or a girlfriend uh, or a bank account or maybe college or a retirement fund. But really, everyone needs to ask themselves this question. 
A hundred years from now, will those things matter? A hundred years from now, and by the way, my house will be a hundred years old next year. And so I'm living in a hundred-year-old house. It's not that long a period of time. Every person listening to me right now, a hundred years from now, unless you set some kind of record, (laughs) you're going to be out in eternity. Or Christ is going to be back by that time. So the question is, what then? You know, I could address a young person. I could take any teenager here and say, what are you after right now? Well, I'm after an education. Well, what then? Well, I want to graduate. Well, what then? Well, I want to go to college. Okay, what then? Well, I want to get a degree. All right, what then? Well, I want to get a good career. All right, what then? Well, I want to make money. Okay, what then? Well, I want to buy a house. Okay, what then? Well, I want to buy stuff. Okay, what then? Well, I want to put up for retirement. Okay, what then? Well, I want to retire. Okay, what then? Well, I want to travel and and, and see the world. Okay, what then? What then? There's always a what then. What then? Then you're going to die. And and by the way, not everybody listening to me right now is going to live that long. I mean, some may retire and see the, the golden years. Others, you know... You could be listening to your final sermon. You just never know. So what then? That's the question. In Job 16.22, Job says, When a few years are come, then I shall go the way whence I shall not return. You know, there's a 100% chance that you're going to die. Do you know that studies have shown that 10 out of 10 people die? I mean, we just know these things. But people don't stop to think about it. Everybody is going to die. You know, somebody called the Bible this. If you're to take every every letter in the Bible as uh, an acronym, really the Bible is 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 basic instruction before leaving Earth. That's really what it is. It's basic B I B L E. It's basic instruction before leaving Earth. Do people have the basic instruction that they need before they're going to leave this Earth? Now, you're going to witness to some folks, we know this to be true, and they're going to say, what's it to you? What is it to you? Well, what's it to you? Well, at least you care enough about their eternity to talk to them. And you might want to say that. I guess they care enough about where you're going to spend eternity. The, the best friend that you and I could be is the friend that witnesses to somebody that we work with, or we're related to, or we live by, or whatever it might be. In fact, uh, your associations at work, and, and most people have them, unless you've got a job driving alone all by yourself all day, you have work-related associations. That's a really good place to start, to look for an opening to talk to those that you work with. Did you know that 87% of all people who get saved and grounded in a church like this come in as a result of of an association? 87% of those who come to the Lord come as a result of a friend. You know, there are some spiritual camps that promote isolationism. And being a hermit and a monk and that kind of thing. And they have the philosophy of, of, of segregation and, and kind of withdrawing from the world. You know what I'm talking about? You know, some camps like that. So they withdraw from the world. And they, uh, in the process, look at the lost like they're lepers. You know, you ooh, get away from them. And honestly, even in some camps that are pretty closely associated to ours, there can be a mentality within churches that the lost, you know, they're at arm's length. We, we got to just keep away from them. And they have a, a twisted view of separation. I like that song, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Christ was a friend of the lost. And by the way, he was criticized for it. In Matthew 9.11, it says, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans? 
Sinners. Can you almost see them saying it with disgust? Publicans. <laughs> Sinners. Why eateth your master with that crowd? By the way, you'll find this expression eight times in the gospel where they criticize Christ for hanging out with the heathen, basically. You know what I think? I think you ought to make friends with every lost person you can with the intention of trying to win them to Christ, with the intention of affecting them. Now, not vice versa. If you're so weak spiritually that that they're going to drag you down, then maybe uh, you better think it over. But Jesus never got dragged down by the crowd he ran with. And he ran with sinners. Paul ran with sinners, always trying to win them to Christ, never forgetting that they were the mission field. John, the beloved apostle, he he hobnobbed with sinners. That's what he was around there on, on the Isle of Patmos in the copper mine. Sinners, lost people, and he used it as an opportunity to witness to them. You know, really the sad folly of youth is the average young person, you can't put them in a group of, of uh, ungodly young people without that, that Christian kid getting dragged down. Now, it shouldn't be that way. And it's not that way with every young person. I've, I've, uh, I've been a youth director in a church before and, and, and seen the difference between young people. I've seen them in, in this church as well. And there are some young people, I mean, they, they just know what they believe. Nobody's going to pull them off of it. And they're going to take their stand and God bless them. They get around the unsaved and they witness and they try and bring them up. But sadly, the average young person does not have the stamina, the intestinal fortitude, if you might call it that, to take their stand and, and live godly around the unsaved. They don't have the backbone there. And I wish you did, young people. Because really you have such a golden opportunity to reach those in your neighborhoods or, or those that you uh, know in some association somehow. It's all about making friends, really, even with the unsaved, especially the unsaved, and trying to win them to the Lord. That's the purpose. Because then they become an eternal friend. Not just a temporal one you'll know for a few decades here but an eternal friend that you can have forever with you in heaven. Now, let me just stop and caution us all here. I'm not saying we go around hounding people 24-7 and just kind of wearing our our welcome out until they push us away. I am talking about uh, showing kindness to the unsaved, planting seeds wherever we can, and looking for opportunities to get the gospel in. We have a motto here at this church. We've had it for years. Ephesians 4.15 says, Speaking the truth in love. That's really what we need to be doing. We need to be uh, loving people. We need to be uh, true friends to those who are lost. I saw a bumper sticker years ago, and it said, friends don't let friends drive Fords. And, of course, we we all smirk at that. But in in a more sincere way and sobering way, friends really don't let friends die lost without trying to witness to them. If we're really a true friend, it's a responsibility that we have to reach them. I don't read the obituaries very often. I don't read the paper a whole lot. But I do get the Sunday paper and go through it. And, and uh, though I don't read the obituaries much, there was a face and a name that caught my eye recently. Back in 1987, I was knocking doors daily and came across this individual. And, and uh, they had even attended church. I had taken them through the plan of salvation. They had not gotten saved. They were hung up on infant baptism. You can about guess what kind of a group that might have been. And never did get saved. And I'm telling you, I went back and went back and called and went back and called. And they never got saved as far as I knew. And I saw their obituary here just a few weeks ago in the paper. And I, as far as I know, they never did get saved. But that person is out in eternity forever right now. And there's no changing wherever they're at. And that's really the fate of anyone 
who dies, there's no changing where you're going to spend forever. And there's only one of two places according to the Bible. Look in the Gospel of John just a few pages forward if you would. John chapter 9. Somebody said it this way. If they're still breathing, they need to hear. If they're still breathing, they need to hear. In John chapter 9, Christ put it this way. He said, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Notice He said, and and I think we understand what He's talking about here. I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. While there's an opportunity. While there's time. While that person is still breathing. He says, the night cometh when no man can work. Charles Spurgeon many years ago said this, and it's quite a quote. He said, If sinners insist on going out into a Christless eternity, let them leap into hell over our outstretched arms. Let, us, let them perish with our arms around their knees. Let no one go to hell unwarned and unprayed for. That's quite a quote, isn't it? I mean, if they're going to insist on going, let them leap over our outstretched arms. Arms, let them uh, go with our, our arms around their knees, but let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. Now, how can we, I guess, approach people, if I might put it that way? What are some lead-in questions that we might be able to use? Let me just give you several very practical ones. Here's one, maybe. Um, you could ask somebody where you're at spiritually in your life. Where do you feel you're at spiritually in, in your, your life? They might go, well, what, what do you mean? Well, uh, what did you, you, where did you go to church as a kid? I mean, what, you know, the average person has quit going to church except for Christmas and Easter. We know that. Most people don't go to church every Sunday. And uh, a lot of them get confirmed, which I've never understood, and quit going to church at that time. I mean, I don't, maybe, maybe I'm missing something here, but, you know, you confirm your faith. Isn't that when you step it up? Uh, I have never understood people who quit going to church at that point. But, but most, especially in this region, that's where they're at. And so they don't go. So you say, well, where are you at spiritually? Well, you know, I, I haven't gone to church since I was a kid. Uh, you, you could ask this question. Here's another one, secondly. What do you think a person has to do in order to go to heaven? That, now, you really haven't offended anyone with that question. You've just kind of uh, tried to open the door to talk about the Lord. What do you think a person has to do in order to go to heaven. And they might say, well, blah, 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 and so on. And then you say, well, so how about you? Where are you at? And uh, do you think you're going to heaven? Now, normally at that point, nine out of ten will say, I hope so. You'll get some who say, uh, I, I think so. I, yeah, I, I, I am. But very, very few. They will say, I hope so. I hope so. And then you can say, well, what are you trusting in? Well, most people at that time will give you kind of a work salvation answer. And they'll talk about how I'm trying to be a good person and so on and so forth. And, and I hope when I die, uh, my good will outweigh my bad and God will let me in. Well, you can quote 1 John 5.13 because most people don't realize this. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. That floored me when I found out you could know you're going to heaven when you die. In fact, it just behooves me how that, that couldn't uh, appeal to people. I'm not saying everybody you give that verse to is going to go, whoa, tell me how. Because most, and, and many if not most, have said, well, that's nice. But there are those who go, wait a minute, you can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. So now their interest is peaked. Now you may have them at least listening. But 
they've been telling you up to this point that I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to be good, I've done this, I've done that, uh, I, I believe in God, you'll hear that a lot, and I hope I'll go to heaven when I die. Well, maybe that's where you bring up the point, if you could work your way to heaven, why did Jesus die for you on the cross? That's another one where, duh, you know, I could have had a V8, you know. Most people haven't thought of that. And they're just trying to work their way to heaven, and when somebody poses that question to them, they go, you know, I never thought of that. If you could work your way to heaven, why did Christ suffer immeasurably on that cross to pay for your sins? And they go, oh, yeah, I never really thought of that. And then you can take them, and this is very important, I would encourage everybody to memorize the Ten Commandments. Take them through the Ten Commandments one at a time, Basically show them they've placed other things before God. They've made a God of their own imagination. Uh, maybe many of them have taken God's name in vain. And I find that uh, one where I, when I mention that, boy, I'm telling you, you can just see the conviction on their face. Or you can talk about keeping God's day holy and honoring it. And have they always honored their parents? And that sixth one, they, they haven't murdered normally. But you can, you, you can explain that if they've been mad at somebody... Uh, hated somebody, been bitter towards somebody, it's murder of the heart. And most people would be honest. In fact, they're thinking at that point, yeah, that dirty rat. They, they, they know somebody in their mind that they're mad at, they're bitter at. And so, ching, it, it rings there. And then the one on adultery, you can explain that even to lust after the opposite sex. And, and who would say, boy, I've never done that, you know, and be honest with it. And the eighth one about stealing, and, and explain it could be something small. It could even be not working when you're, you're on the boss's time, and, and everybody's violated that one. The ninth one is where everybody who's honest would admit they've lied. And you add to that, all liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, and it makes it very effective. And the final one, thou shalt not covet, you explain what that is. But you take somebody through those, and the key, in fact, look in Luke chapter 19, just a few pages back. The key is to, to not be mean or make them uncomfortable, but to try and get them to see themselves as they really are, lost. We're talking about being mindful of the lost. The lost are lost and have to stay lost unless they realize they're lost. And so the key is to get them to see that they're lost. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. They've got to see themselves as lost. And it, it floors me to talk to people today who've made professions of faith but never seen themselves as lost. I was reading some of the salvation testimonies of some of the college students who are coming here and, and some made uh, professions of faith at early ages and, and later on in their teen years uh, talked about how they didn't realize they were lost earlier on and they didn't understand repentance and so on. And that's, that's wonderful to see that. So many professions of faith are being made across this land, especially because of easy believism, and the person making the profession of faith doesn't even realize they're lost. And with the standards way, way, way down here, with the bar so low that anybody could jump over it, you got all these lost people thinking they're sheep when they're goats because they've never seen themselves as lost. Jesus said the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's, let's talk about a few other approaches here in the, the little bit of time that we have left. Here's another one. Uh, you can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. And now you've piqued their interest, their curiosity. How can I know that? Imagine knowing for sure where you're going to spend eternity. Paul did. In Philippians 1.21, he said, For me to live is Christ and to die 
is gain. He said, if I'm going to live on this earth, it's going to be for the Lord. But when I die, that's going to be gain. And Paul was not afraid to die. Now, here's another approach. If you were to die tonight, and God were to ask you why He should let you into heaven, what would you say? If you were to die tonight, and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you tell Him? Now, you don't have a yes or no answer on that one, do you? I mean, you're going to have to listen to them and they're going to have to say something. And, and, and in their own words, and by the way, don't be afraid to let them talk and, and say all that they say. You're going to hear some crazy things. But uh, they're going to tell you, oh, I've tried to live a good life and I've tried to this. You know, and that's what they're going to, they're going to tell God. I, I, I kept the Ten Commandments and things along those lines. Well, Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. A very good verse to memorize to point out that the best that we can do in God's sight, a thrice holy God looks at it as a dirty rag. And we're all as an unclean thing. Plus, this familiar passage, which tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. should be one of the first verses you memorize as you go about witnessing. And the emphasis there being the fact it's not of works. There will be nobody boasting in heaven about how they work their way to heaven. Nobody patting themselves on the back. All the pats on the back will go to Christ. All the boasting will be on Him, not us. Because it's not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, you could talk about this business of not working your way to heaven and, and maybe even try and illustrate it by saying, look, if, uh, if you bought your spouse, let's turn it around. If your spouse or your best friend or somebody bought you a nice Christmas present, a, a, a brand new laptop or something, and handed it to you, and you pulled out your wallet and insisted on paying for it, how would they feel? They'd feel insulted because it's no longer a gift anymore. And you could point out here, it's the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. That's when the light comes on quite often. They, they see that they can't pay for it. In fact, really what they need to see is why they need it. They need to see that, okay, this is the cure, but why do I need it? If uh, somebody ran up to you and said, I have the cure for cancer, you'd say, oh, wonderful. But if you had cancer... You'd say, give me that right now, wouldn't you? Because now it's personal. And a lot of people are making professions of faith without seeing themselves as lost, without seeing themselves on the road to hell, with the cancer of sin infecting them, and a need for a cure. And that's why they really don't get saved so often. We have got to see how badly we need the remedy. We need the cure. And what is the cure? Well, 1 John 1.7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. It's the blood of Christ. That's the cure. Not baptistry water, not good works, not church membership, but the blood of Christ cleanseth us from all sin. And if you try and get into heaven without that blood on your sins, it's kind of like trying to shoplift something out of Best Buy over here, and the security tag you know, goes off, beep, 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 and, and suddenly you're caught. And that's another good illustration. You can explain that to somebody. You try and get into heaven without your sins under the blood, the alarm's going to go off. You've got to have the blood of Jesus Christ which cleanses us from all sin. Now, let me give you quickly another one or two uh, approaches here. Here's one, and it's very subtle. When you die, what do you think is on the other side? Now, that's a good question to ask people. 
What do you think's on the other side? What, what do you think happens when your heart stops? Everybody secretly thinks about that. And there are a number of answers. Some, some will tell you, I think heaven, I, or I, you know, I, I think heaven and hell. Uh, very few will say hell. <laughs> some say reincarnation. Some say something else. But everybody secretly thinks about what does happen when my heart stops and what is on the other side. And you'll get a number of answers. Be willing to listen to them. That kind of thing. Here's another one. How do you think a person gets to heaven? Now, that's a real non-threatening way to approach somebody with the gospel. So how do you think somebody gets to heaven? And you'll hear all kinds of things. You might ask them, uh, after you've talked to them a little bit, what is the most important thing in the world to you? That'll get them thinking. It might be the girlfriend, the boyfriend. It, it, It might be their job. It might be their spouse. It might be their kids. It might be their career. But something's going to come to mind. What is the most important thing in the world to you? And then you turn it around and you say, when you die, the moment you die, what do you think then will be the most important thing to you? Well, it really puts it in perspective. Like, whoa, okay. Yeah, I think things are going to change at that point. Now, the point is, God never meant for the truth to stay within the four walls of this church. If we're going to be mindful of the loss, then we've got to take what we've learned here and go out there with it. In Acts 20.20, Paul says, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Notice the emphasis, publicly and from house to house. Paul took it outside into the world. Now, you can pick any or, or, or all of these approaches, but they're just practical things. The bottom, is, don't, bottom line is don't be afraid to remind people of eternity Because nobody knows for sure they're going to wake up tomorrow morning. Nobody knows that. Nobody has that assurance. Don't be afraid to remind them of that. And everybody has associations. Everyone has friends and relatives and neighbors and co-workers and the guy at the gas station and the guy down at the store. And there might be a lot of people that are interested in in their temporal well-being. But you might be the only friend that's interested in their eternal well-being. That makes you different than any other friend that they have in their circle of influence. A real friend, uh, a real Christian, will try and, and find an opportunity to talk to somebody about Christ. I close with Romans 1.16. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. May I admonish all of us, let's not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God, what God uses, the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And God help us to stay mindful of the lost. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.